Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon, and for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. You and I have the privilege at this time of year to, uh, to do that, to send hope. And we do that collectively as the body of Christ known as River Bluff through giving to a very special offering at Easter. And so we're going to be collecting our Easter offering all the month of uh, April. Every cent of that offering goes to fund the work of missions on the North American continent all over. And what it involves mostly and what it goes to mostly is planting churches. And so this offering is, is, is working to plant churches, especially in inner cities, urban areas in this season. And so I just want to encourage you, as you were watching that video, I don't, it took me back to my baptism. I just, I just had a flashback to the day that I went public with my love for Jesus. And I thought about the numbers of people that God used to get me to that moment. And the sacrifice that they endured to put up with me to get me to that moment. One of the ways that you and I get to participate in, in baptisms like that is through the way we support. So I want to challenge you. As you're, as you're kind of going through this month, would you ask the Lord, would you, would you just seek the Holy Spirit and give him unhindered sway in your life to, to answer this question? Jesus, how much would you have me give this year? How much would you have me give so that others can hear the gospel? And then give accordingly. Now, th this week not only kind of launches our annual uh, giving to, to this great opportunity for missions, but it also, we launched the week of prayer for uh, North American missions. And in your newsletter, your bulletin, whatever you want to call that thing, there's a little multifold and a bookmark as well to help lead us throughout the week to pray for those who are already on the field. Some of those that our offering would go to support. And I want to encourage you to do this because as much as they need us to give sacrificially, they also need us to pray. In fact, if you talk to most of them, they will tell you, when you ask them what is their greatest need, they'll tell you prayer. They'll ask you to pray for them. And so I want to encourage you to use this guide. There's also going to be an email, I think, coming uh, every day this week into your inbox if you're uh, connected to our, 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 our email and our family here that will send you, to, it'll be a link to about a two and a half minute video that will give you even more information about those you're praying for so that you can pray effectively and specifically for needs that they have. And I would encourage you to take the kind of the moment to click that link. But I want you to also know that our uh, opportunity uh, to, to engage in missions in North America doesn't end with just our giving and our praying. It also involves our going and our inviting. And I want to encourage you to be a part, to, to consider yourselves commissioned as a missionary to North America right where you live, work, and play. And do that by inviting someone to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus with us in two weeks. Um, and so we've tried to help you uh, do that in a creative way. We've created invitations. They're on tables out of each exit. I want to encourage you to pick, pick up an invitation. Some are, are about this size. Some are business card size. Stick some in your wallet and ask the Lord to give you opportunities to invite somebody to, to, to come with you, to join with you as you celebrate the resurrection um, on, on Easter Sunday in, on the 21st. Now, here's something that you need to know strategically about our times. Our services normally meet 9.30 and 11. You're the 11 o'clock crowd, so that won't probably mess you up too much. But if you're giving invitation, you need to realize that on Easter, our services are going to be at 9 and 11. There's no 30. Okay, so lose the 30 for Easter. Okay, our services are at what time? Very good. The first crowd had a little problem with that, but that's because there's a 9.30 crowd. That, you know, so, so 9 and 11. So if you're going to come to the early service, you show up at 9.30, I mean, half the fun is missed. Okay? So you want to plan to be here at 9, give your invitation at 9, and that's, they're actually written. Those, those times are written on those invitation cards. So I want to encourage you to do that. Now later in our service today, we're actually going to have the opportunity to pray over and commission some missionaries that are leaving um, River Bluff. Uh, 
uh, this coming Wednesday going into Cuba for a week. And uh, I'm really excited about that. Dave's going to be leading that. But Dave's not only going to be leading that missional work, he's going to be leading the mission of opening God's Word to us today. And so before Dave comes, I, I want to pray. I want to pray for him. I want to pray for us. And I want to pray for the work of missions on the North American continent. So join me as we pray together. Father, we come, we come excited about Jesus. God, just in that moment, a moment ago, when you just gave me a flashback to the, to the day I, I got to publicly tell people I'm a follower of Jesus through baptism. Lord, I just, I thank you for the numbers of people who sacrifice so much. I think about people that I never even met who built a church on Midland Park Road years ago and formed and planted that group that one day... I would hear the gospel presented in such a way that it made sense to my little pea brain. And I would know of the saving power of Jesus for me. God, thank you for that. Thank you for those who sacrifice. So God, I pray. I pray for myself and Kathy. I pray for our household. And I pray for, for this church, your people at River Bluff. God, that we would, we would open our hearts generously to give to the work of planting churches all over our continent. So Holy Spirit, speak to us, guide us, direct us in how we should sacrificially and generously give over the coming weeks. Help us hear from you and be obedient to that call. And Lord, I, I also give you thanks that we get to participate in that. But we, we come now, right now, praying for those who are on the field. God, they, they have so many needs. They have sacrificed so much to go, uh, to plant a church somewhere, to, to, to serve in, in, in urban centers, God. And I just pray right now, by the power of Jesus, God, you would meet every need that they have. You would inspire them. You would encourage them. Some of them, uh, God, that are, that are on, in little small environments right now, proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the beauty of Jesus. I just pray that you would empower them and meet every need they have. And God, if you could use us to be a part of meeting their needs from your riches and glory that you pour through us, God, I pray that you would do that. And Lord, I also pray for us as you have given us the, 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 the task, the, the beauty, the, the opportunity, the privilege of being your missionaries, being sent out in the name of Jesus where we live, work, and play to take the gospel everywhere we go. And so I pray that as we're in this season of, of thinking about how explicit we need to be with the beautiful gospel of Jesus in our own lives and in the lives of those we encounter, God, that you would just saturate our hearts and minds with the beauty of Jesus so much so that every encounter that we have, every conversation that we have will somehow drip the beauty of Jesus, the good news that we have in him. And so, God, I pray now for my brother Dave as he comes to open your word to us. As he, as he brings your, your message, God, that you've poured into him. So that we might really make so much of Jesus. I just pray for him now, hiding behind Calvary's cross. God, speak through Dave. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would stir and, and, and just need in our hearts to make our hearts receptive to the seed of the gospel being planted again so that we, we might grow. We might be transformed into the image of Jesus more today than we were when we entered this place. Jesus, we love you. We give thanks for you. We thank you for your good news found only in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank you, Joe. Well, this morning we are continuing in the explicit gospel series. But before we get into God's word, I, I want to share a list with you. This is a list of man's greatest achievements. And the number one greatest achievement of man on this list was travel to the moon. That, that's a pretty big achievement, wouldn't you agree? Number two, created electronic devices. Three, mastered flight, thanks to the Wright brothers. Four, domesticated fire. Five, created writing. Six, created photography. Where's Frank? That's a good one, huh, Frank? Seven, theories of relativity in quantum mechanics. I don't understand it, but it's one of man's greatest achievements. Number eight, the theory of evolution. I don't know how that made it onto one of man's greatest achievements, but, but it's here on the list. 
Um, this next one I know my daughters will appreciate. Created music. Number 10, developed vaccines. Number 11, created the internet. Thank you, Al Gore. <laughs> Number 12, created nuclear power. Number 13, language. I didn't know that man invented language. That was one of his greatest achievements. Um, this next one, number 14, is one that hasn't been proven yet, but it made the list, and it says, won an argument with his wife. <laughs> and then last on this list, number 15, is conquered Mount Everest. So these are man's greatest achievements. And yet, despite man's great and wonderful achievements that we have here on this list, as we talk about the gospel, the gospel does not make much of man, but rather it makes much of Jesus Christ. And none of these achievements, achievements would even be possible apart from God's working in our lives. So what I'd like to have us do this morning is to take a look at Ephesians chapter 2. And we want to begin by looking at verses 1 through 3. So let me read that for you. It says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins. That's talking about being spiritually dead there in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So this is what... Life is like apart from Jesus Christ. This is God's word through the Apostle Paul to us saying, this is what life is like apart from Jesus Christ. And it says three things in there that we are doing as we live apart from Jesus Christ. It says we're following the course of this world. Well, I don't know about you, but as I take a look at the world around me, I don't know that that's a good course to follow. The world is messed up. Number two, it says, following the prince of the power of the air, following Satan. Once again, probably not a great option, right? And then the third thing it says is that we, we carry out the desires of the body and the mind. And I don't know about you, but I know that I don't want to be carrying out the desires of my body and mind because they're not always good and right and holy. And so this is life apart from Jesus Christ. And it says that because of this, by, we were by nature children of wrath. When it says that we were by nature, it's talking about our, our sinful nature. It's talking about the fact that we have sin in our lives, not just because we sin, but because we each have this sinful nature that we're born into the world with. This is the argument that the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5 when he says that the law was given to Moses and the Israelites, but before the law was introduced, there was death in the world. Before there were laws to be broken, God's laws to be broken, there was death in the world because we, there was sin nature in the world and mankind was born with sinful nature apart from Adam. And the result of that is God's wrath. God's fierce anger and punishment upon all those who are born in the world with a sinful nature. That includes all of us. Apart from Jesus Christ. But fortunately, Ephesians chapter 2 doesn't stop there. There's more. And I want to continue on by looking at verses 4 through 10. In verse 4 says, But God... Two of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. But God introduced this contrast. Life apart from Christ, but God now is going to introduce life in Christ. 
Pastor Joe talked about that a while back when we were in um, our study of Ephesians. So it says, verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want to stop there for a sec because I want to explain what Paul's talking about here when he says that you were made alive together with Christ and you were raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places. Because you see, this, this book of Ephesians was written as a letter. And for us to understand the letter... We can't just take this one chapter alone. We have to look at the whole letter. And the letter wasn't written initially with verses and chapters. When was the last time you wrote a letter? Did you write it with verses and chapters in it? That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? I've, I've never written a letter in my life and broken it up into verses and chapters. It's just one thought continuously to whoever I'm writing the letter to. And the same thing is happening here as we take a look at the book of Ephesians. So for us to understand what Paul is talking about here in verse uh, 5 and 6... We need to go back to chapter 1, verse 20. And it won't be up on the board here, but in chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says, And God raised Jesus up from the dead. Not because of his sins, because of our sins. He raised him up from the dead, and he seated him next to him in the heavenly places. And so as we get to chapter 2 here, and we take a look at these verses... There's something very important that's going on that we need to be aware of. And so when we see that we were made alive together with Christ and we were raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places, Paul here is talking about our identity. Paul is talking about the fact that God sees as what is, being, what is true of Jesus Christ is now also true of us. Because of Jesus Christ. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, God has raised us spiritually from the dead. Just as Christ was raised up to heaven and is seated in the heavenly places at God's right hand side, we too, according to God, this is how he identifies us, this is how he sees us, we too are raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. So that's an important thing. This is how God sees us. This is God, how, what God says is true of us because of Christ Jesus. Let's uh, move on, verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now when you boast, what are you doing? When you boast, typically you're making much of yourself. I did this, look how wonderful I am. All the attention needs to be on me. That's boasting. And we typically don't like people that boast, do we? Like, man, what, what a nuisance, that, that guy boasting on himself. But yet, that's oftentimes what we do with the gospel. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But Paul makes it very clear here that the gospel does not have anything that we can come to and say that we can boast and make much of ourselves. The gospel, rather, makes much of Jesus Christ. Let's finish up that section, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I want, to, I want us to take a look at something here, because I want to make this message very clear, that if we take Christ out of the gospel, we have no good news, we have no hope. And so what I want to do is I want to take a look at, at those verses there, 4 through 10, to begin with. In every place where it says, 
together with Christ or with Christ or in Christ or in him. I want to see what would not be true of us if we took Christ out of the gospel. So if we take a look here at verse 5, it says, made us alive together with Christ... Verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Take Jesus out of the gospel and we are not made spiritually alive. We're left to be spiritually dead. Take Jesus out of the gospel and we are not raised up together with Christ in the heavenly places. Um, I want to jump down to, to verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship... Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If we take Jesus out of the gospel, then anything that we do in God's eyes is not good. We have no good works. We have nothing good that we've done to bring before God if we take Jesus out of the gospel. Are you seeing how this works? I want to make this even a little bit more clear to you. So what I want us to do is to take a look now at Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3 and going through verse 14. And I want us to take a look at it and do the same thing that we just did. Every place that it says, in him, in Christ, together with him. Let's take a look at what that says. And let's take a look at what would be true of us if we took Jesus out of the gospel. So, verse 3 in Ephesians chapter 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, the key words, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If we take Christ out of the gospel, we have no spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Verse 4 goes on to say, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. If we take Jesus out of the gospel, we are not holy and blameless before God. And we're in deep, deep trouble. Goes on to say, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. We take Jesus out of the gospel. We are not adopted into God's family. We're left on our own. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Talking about Jesus. In him... In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, or forgiveness of trespasses. We take Jesus out of the gospel, we have no redemption, no forgiveness from God. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ Jesus. If we take Jesus out of the gospel, we have no hope of knowing God's will. As a plan, verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Once again, do you see that word, those two words in him? We take Jesus out of the gospel. We have no inheritance to look for. God has promised us because of the gospel and because of Jesus that we have this amazing inheritance to look forward to. God himself. But if we take Jesus out of the gospel, we have no inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him... We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. If we take Jesus out of the gospel, 
We don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We don't have the Holy Spirit in our lives. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it? If we take Jesus out of the gospel, where does that leave us? That leaves us right back at Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. And so you see, Jesus is essential to the gospel. And that's why I say the gospel does not make much of man. It doesn't make much of us. It makes much of Jesus. Because without Jesus, we're following the course of this world. We're following Satan. And we're living according to the desires of our body and our mind. (laughs) Not a good place to be in. Now, in in those verses there, in verses 3 through 14, three times the phrase is mentioned, to the praise of his glorious grace, or to the praise of his glory. Verse 6 says, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12 says, to the praise of his glory. Verse 14 says, to the praise of his glory. Again. Now, what are we doing when we praise somebody? We're making much of them. When I praise somebody, am I making much of myself? When I praise my wife for the delicious meal that she made and that all I did was get to eat and enjoy it, am I making much of me? No, I'm making much of her. I'm just the recipient that gets to enjoy what she did. And so, whenever we're praising somebody, we're making much of them. We're not making much of ourselves. And Paul makes it very clear here that the gospel is to the praise of the glory of Jesus Christ. So I hope you can see that the gospel does not make much of us as mankind, but it makes much of Jesus. I'd like to have us now take a look at uh, somewhat of a parallel passage to what we find in uh, Ephesians uh, 2 at the beginning of the chapter there. And this is um, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Because I want this message to be very, very clear. The gospel does not make much of us. It makes much of Jesus. So starting there, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Let's stop and think about that for a second. Is this making much of us? No, it says, Jesus, all things were created through him. All things were created for him. And he is the one that holds all things together. This is the one that we are to make much of in our lives. This is the one that the gospel is making much of. The one that through and for all things were made. And the one who holds all things together. Can we do any better than that? No, we can't even come close to that. This is the one that the gospel is making much of. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him, that in everything he might be preeminent. That word preeminent means superior or above all things. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which I which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Verse 23 says, don't shift from the hope of the gospel. Jesus is the hope of the gospel. We saw very clearly that if we take him away from the gospel, there's no hope. Jesus himself is the hope of the gospel. But Houston, we have a problem. Or I, I guess I should say, but Charleston, we have a problem. And that problem is our self, our fleshly, sinful nature. Because what does our self want to make much of? Our self wants to make much of us, right? It's very selfish. <laughs> it makes everything about us. And... The problem is that we can take something as beautiful as the gospel. And when our self hears that, it wants to make it about us and not about Jesus Christ. And that's a huge problem that we all have to deal with in our lives. And my fear is that when I stand up here and I tell you something so beautiful and so wonderful such as God loves you, what does yourself want to do with that truth, that beautiful, wonderful truth? It wants to make it about you. Oh, yeah, God loves me. Of course. I'm, I'm worth loving. You know, I, I'm pretty good. That's what self does with even these good and beautiful truths. Or if I stood up here and I said, God has given you all power, which is true. We find that throughout Scripture. What does our self want to do with that? It wants to take it and make it all about us. If I tell you God has given you victory, you're like, yeah, it's all about me. I have victory now. Because that's what our self wants to do with uh, this beautiful and wonderful truth. Or if I say God has given you authority, you're like, yeah, I've got authority. It's about me now. That's what our self wants to do with these beautiful and wonderful truths. And I fear that unless we clearly explain that these things are all for God's glory and for the sake of God's great name, that we, we are left with making it about ourselves. Because that's what our sinful nature does. That's what our self does. And so when I say that God loves you, if I don't bring it back around to God and say that God loves you for the sake of his great name, then I fear that self is going to grab hold of that truth and make it about you. And if I say that God has given you all power and authority without clearly explaining that it's so that he would be glorified through your life, my fear is that yourself is going to grab hold of that truth and make it about you and not about Jesus Christ. Do you see how this works? And so, so we have a problem here that we have to deal with. That problem is ourself because self wants to make it all about us and not about Jesus Christ. But we saw clearly from Scripture that the gospel is all about Jesus Christ. We even do this with the Bible. Something as beautiful and wonderful as the Bible itself, we take the beautiful truths of the Bible and we tend to make them about ourselves. Have you ever heard um, the saying that uh, the Bible is your roadmap for your life? Who are we making it, the Bible about? We're making it about us when we start saying things like that. And it's true that the Bible has some wonderful, true principles for how we should live our life? Or have you ever heard the phrase that um, the Bible is your, your guide for living? Or how about um, the Bible is just basic instructions for life? When we say those things, we're making the Bible about us because it, it comes back to us. But the Bible is not about us. The Bible is about God. And even though it tells us how 
we should live, or more clearly how we get to live because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, my fear is that we tend to take this beautiful, wonderful truth of the Bible and make it about us when it's really all about God. I want to take a look at a quote by uh, Tim Keller. And this is taken from his book, um, Making Sense of God. And it says, The Bible is a record of God's intervening grace in the lives of people who don't seek it, who don't deserve it, who continually resist it, and who don't appreciate it after they have been saved by it. So is that making much of us? The people who don't seek it, the people who don't deserve it, the people who resist it, and the people who take it for granted even after we're saved? No, it's about God. Do you see, we can take this beautiful and wonderful truth of the Bible and make it about us because that's what our self wants to do. But we would be good to take a look at the Bible itself and see what the Bible says and who the Bible says it's about. And so, in, in Luke chapter 24, right after Christ's uh, resurrection from the dead, he comes alongside a couple of his disciples that are walking along on the road to Emmaus. And he sees that they're very sad. And he says, why are you so sad? And they look at him like, are you the only one in all of Jerusalem who hasn't heard what happened to Jesus? You see, they didn't recognize him as Jesus when he was walking along with them. I don't know how that worked, but they didn't recognize him as Jesus. And they say, are you the only one who hasn't heard what happened to Jesus? We were hoping that he would be the Messiah that was coming to save Israel. And Jesus continued to walk along with them. And they invited him to come stay with them. And says, when they sat down and he broke bread with them, suddenly their eyes and the eyes of their heart were open to see that this is Jesus. And it says, Jesus then took them through all of Scripture, Moses and the prophets, the Old Testament, interpreting to them all that it said about him. So the Bible itself is saying that it's not about us. It's about Jesus. Or, or take, for example, uh, from John chapter 5. Jesus has an encounter with the Pharisees. And during this encounter, Jesus says, You are looking to the scriptures to find eternal life when the scriptures are all about me. You see, the Bible itself says that the Bible is not about us. But it's all about Jesus Christ. So you see how we can tend to take something so beautiful and wonderful and our self takes hold of that and tries to make it about us? And, and so my fear is that we would do that with the gospel as well. And I don't want us to do that. I want us to make the gospel all about Jesus Christ because that's what God's word makes it about. And Paul in the book of Galatians, makes this very clear um, in Galatians chapter 5. He talks about this struggle that's going on inside of us. This struggle between self, that fleshly sinful nature, and, and God himself. Self trying to make our lives all about us. And the Holy Spirit trying to make it all about Jesus. And in Galatians chapter 5, Verses 16 and 17, he says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul talks about this in a little more detail in Romans chapter 7. But do you see this, this struggle, this tension that's going on inside of us? Our self wanting to make much of us. The Holy Spirit here wanting to make much of Jesus. Because you see, one of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit 
is to point us to Jesus Christ and to what he's done, to point us to the gospel of Jesus Christ that's all about him. The Holy Spirit wants to make much of Jesus in our lives. But not only that, the Holy Spirit wants to produce the character of Jesus Christ in our lives. If we were to follow Galatians chapter 5 down a little bit further, we'd come across the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's what the Holy Spirit is producing in our lives as we walk with the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is describing a person. It's describing the person of Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit is at war with ourself. And the Holy Spirit is making much of Jesus and is producing the character of Jesus in our lives. <clears throat> Jesus understood this dynamic. He understood that our, our self, our fleshly sinful nature would lead us to want to make much of ourselves and so even while he was here alive on earth with his disciples before he went to the cross he he warns them he gives them a warning and in Matthew 13:24 we see this warning we find it at several other places in scripture but in Matthew 13:24 it reads like this then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Because, see, Jesus knew what our natural inclination would be. What the self would want to do is to make much of us. So he warns his disciples, even before he goes to his death, even before his resurrection, he says, Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Basically, what he's telling them to do here is die to self, because self wants to make much of you, but it's all about me, Jesus is saying. And just as Jesus told his disciples then, we have those very same words for us today. Die to self, because it's not about us. It's all about Jesus. So what would that look like in our lives if we really believe that. Because you see, I, I think that many of us would shake our head right now like this and say, yeah, we know that the gospel is all about Jesus. We know that it doesn't make much of us. But my question is, is do you really believe it? Do you really believe it in your heart? We sang a song earlier. They said, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Jesus is better, but our hearts need to believe that in order to live it out. And the same thing is true of the gospel. If the gospel does not make much of us, but rather makes much of Jesus, we're called to believe that, not only know that in our mind, but to believe it in our heart as well. And what would that look like if we were to really believe that? If we believe that the gospel makes much of Jesus and not of us, then we are free to forgive others. Because you see, when we don't want to forgive somebody else, we're trying to make it about us. But the gospel is not about you. And so, therefore, when you understand that in your mind, and when your heart believes it, that means that you're free to forgive others, because it's not about you. Or how about this? If you believe that the gospel makes much of Jesus, and not of you, then you are free to be patient with others. Ooh, that's a hard one. I know it's hard for me. Because the typical dynamic in our household is gets to be about 10 o'clock at night, and I'm just ready to shut down completely. And, and my daughters and my wife, they're still full of energy, and they're talking and having a good time. I'm like, no, I'm just ready to shut down. Please. But if I believe truly, not just knew it in my mind, but believed it in my heart, that it's not about me, 
then I would learn and know to be patient with others. I'd be free to be patient with others. Can any of you guys relate to that there? Um, If we truly believed in our hearts that the gospel makes much of Jesus and not of us, then we are free to love others who are not like us. We all tend to look at others and judge them because they're different from us. If you're honest with yourself, you, you know that's true. But if we believe that the gospel does not make much of us, but rather makes much of Jesus, then we are free to love others who are not like us. Why? Because it's not about us. If we believe that the gospel makes much of Jesus and not of us, then we are free to boldly share the gospel with others. Because what is it that keeps us from sharing the gospel with others? We want to, we make it about us. But the gospel is not about us. And therefore, we are free to boldly share the gospel with others. If we truly believe that in our heart. Let me give you an example from from my own life, something that recently happened. A couple weeks ago, my daughter asked me, Daddy, will you take me to the um, daddy-daughter dance that's coming up? I'm like, yeah, sure. I don't really dance, but we can go. And so when is it? And she said, April 6th in the evening. And immediately my mind went to the fact that April 6th in the evening, isn't that when the final four is on TV? And I'm thinking in my mind, who in the world would schedule a daddy-daughter dance at the same time as the final four? That didn't make any sense to me. But the Holy Spirit had to prick my heart. And the Holy Spirit had to remind me, it's not about you. And so, yes, I did take my um, daughter to the daddy-daughter dance last night. And we had a wonderful time. And I attempted to do do what you might call dancing. So, um, it's not about us. And, And my prayer for us and I'm going to pray here in just a second, is that we would understand that the gospel makes much of Jesus and not about us. And, and what that looks like in our lives. But remember that I said that the book of Ephesians was originally written as a letter? Well, it was written to a letter, as a letter to the churches in Ephesus. So, This thing that we call the book of Ephesians was a letter that somebody read before church. Just like I'm now preaching before the church. This was read as a letter before church. And we're not going to take the time to follow it right now. But if we were to read the rest of Ephesians chapter 2 from verses 11 through 22, we would see Paul talking about the church that God is gathering together. He talks about how he's taken the Gentiles and the Israelites and together in one body making them into his own people. And so... Even though this speaks to us as individuals that the gospel is making much of Jesus and not making much of us, even more so, we take this truth together as the church. And we can see that we are to make much of Jesus together as the church. Not just as individuals, but as the church. Because that's how that letter was originally written. To a group of people gathered together, worshiping God together. And so, we are called to make much of Jesus together as the church of River Bluff. And lastly, if we were to trace the message of the gospel, all the way through to the very end of the Bible, we come in Revelations chapter 19 to this scenario where there's the wedding feast of the Lamb. 
And God describes the church, Big C Church, all the churches together, River Bluff, all the churches in Charleston, all the churches throughout the world, as the bride that he's gathering and preparing for his son. And just as a bride hopefully makes much of her husband, we are called, not only as the church of River Bluff, not only the churches in Charleston, but all the churches throughout the world, we are called as the bride of Christ to make much of him. So this is a message that we take individually, but it's more so a message that we take all together First and foremost as the church of River Bluff, but also together with other churches throughout the world to make much of Jesus because that's what the gospel does. So let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that when we were dead, you made us alive together with Christ. We thank you that now you see us and you say that what is true of Jesus is also true of us. And my prayer for us as the people of River Bluff, as the family of River Bluff, is that we would see and understand this truth and that we would believe it in our hearts that the gospel does not make much of man, does not make much of us, but rather the gospel makes much of Jesus. And then I pray that we would see how that frees us to forgive others and love others and to boldly share the gospel with others and to be patient with others as we believe that in our hearts. And so that is my prayer for us as the family of River Bluff. We thank you for being a good, great, and amazing God. And we thank you that you didn't make it about us, but that you've made it all about Jesus Christ. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 11.30 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.